So I want you to walk with me into two different churches. Okay, the first church is OFGBC, Ordinary First General Baptist Church. Okay, the second church is OSGBC, Ordinary Second General Baptist Church. Okay, we're going to call it First Church and Second Church. And by the way, these are not real churches. Okay, just so we're clear from the beginning, I'm not slamming any of these churches. Okay, but both churches have three songs, a sermon, and a song afterwards. Both churches have very similar lighting, smells, same seats, same colors. Both churches look very similar on the outside and on the inside. And both churches are located within a 10-minute drive of your home. Which church are you going to attend? Probably the first church, because they're the first one in the community, right? So you're going to go to first church. So you walk in the first church, and it's a normal church service. You're used to it. You've been to church services like it. The people are friendly. The preaching was good. The music was great. During announcements, they talked about different dinners and activities they were having at the church in the coming weeks. When the offering plates were passed, most people passed the plate without putting anything in. Throughout the week, you see members from first church that you saw in the service. And you ask about what all they offer for your kids, for your family. They offer a Sunday school class. They have a kids program and they have a Bible study. Outside of the first church members, you talk to people in Walmart. And you're like, what, what do you know about first church? And most people seem to not know anything about First Church. In fact, most of them don't even know that it exists other than they, they drive by every day to work. They know it's located on First Street, but that's about it. Only a few inside and outside of the church can recall a time that the church helped them with the need that they had. So the next Sunday, while you're on your church, or church search journey, you go to Second Church. And just like First Church, it's a normal church service. People are friendly. The preaching was good. The music was great. During announcements, they talked about different community outreach activities that they're having in the coming weeks. When the offering plates were passed, few people passed on the plate without putting anything in. Throughout the week, you see members from Second Church. You need to ask about what all they can offer to your family. They offer Sunday school classes. They offer a kids program. They offer a Bible study and a list of volunteer opportunities to serve the community. Outside of the church members, you ask people in Walmart, everyone seems to know about Second Church, even if they don't attend. They talk about how the church had helped them in financial times that were very difficult for their family and for in their life. Others talk about the great things that Second Church always does for the community. They always have these fun community events. They're always serving people. The local police department even reports that crime rates in the town are the lowest in the subdivision that Second Church is located in. And no one could recall a time that they had a need that wasn't met by Second Church. So which church are you going to attend? Right? Probably Second Church, right? Why? Their services were the same. They offered the same exact things. Did it to the same exact excellence that anyone else did. The only difference was the way that they were involved in their community. It's because Second Church was a lot more generous. They were making a difference in their community because they had generous people within the church. 
They're the ones who are helping people. And so you have confidence as someone who doesn't regularly go to church or is looking for a new church. You have confidence that your tithes and offerings that you give to this church is going to go towards helping this community be a better place. Whereas in First Church, they may be genuine in their faith in God, but you would have confidence that your tithes and offerings are going to church events for church people that benefit the church. Now, even though these two churches are made up, it represents a lot of what I see in American churches today. A lot more first churches than there are second churches. Why is that? Well, I looked up different studies from ranging from 2019 to 2022. And in those studies, it said 10 to 15 or 10 to 25% of regular church attenders give tithe or 10% of their income regularly. And 77% of those who do tithe in the church give more than 10% of their income, which isn't a terrible number, but it's still a fourth of people who regularly attend church. Another study found that 80% of those who give to the church give less than 2% of their income to the church. And the other 8% goes to secular charities or are set aside for individuals in need and they may never be used. And 37% of regular church attenders give nothing to their church. In fact, the national average of a churchgoer and what they give a week in 2022 was $17 a week. Now, all of that to say this, it's not about the church getting all of this money so that we can do things that we want to do. It's us partnering together to make an impact on people's lives. The whole root of being generous comes from God wanting to reach the lost. And we, he gives us resources to give to others so that we can reach the lost. And it's not, it's not about us as a church. We need more money for this project. We need more money for this. It's simply a crisis of how unhealthy our churches are. Because one third of the church doesn't give. One third of those who faithfully say that they're, they're followers of Christ, they don't give to the church, which is against God. And similar to last week, I think it's so unique and it may be a coincidence, but I think it's a God thing that one in three people feel lonely one in three people have needs and no one to meet them, and one-third of the church isn't giving. One-third of the church is refusing to be generous. And less than one-fourth of regular church attenders give the minimum biblical amount laid out. As if you're going to give, you're, this is the minimum. It's 10%, your tithe, right? This, this is the minimum that I would recommend you give. This is what God says. And this is drastically different from the church in the book of Acts. Going back to Acts chapter two, where we see the first image of this first church, it says they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. See, all the believers gave almost everything they had. In fact, they, they probably kept some to themselves and it was known that they kept things to themselves. And that was perfectly fine for this first church and it's perfectly fine to keep things for yourself because you have needs too. But what this tells us is that they were willing to give more and they found ways, unique ways to sell different things that they had, sell their possessions, sell their property so that they could give more. It wasn't just 10% every single week. It wasn't just a $20 bill every single week. They gave 
everything that they could. Some scholars will even talk about, and even in chapter four, it talks about how some people would sell their homes and the money that they would get from the homes would go straight all to the church. And they would live a, a nomadic life. Now, what I'm not telling you, or what I'm, what I'm telling you is God's probably not calling you to give up everything, okay? He's not telling you to go sell your home and, and whatever you make from your home, give to the church and then just walk around homeless the rest of your life. It's probably, and I'm assuming, but I'm probably telling you it's a good chance God's not calling you to that because you have needs too, and he's gonna supply those needs through what you make at your job, what, what you make to make a living and to provide for you and your family. But they gave and they stretched their giving. That's the point. They stretched what they were willing and able to give. God will always challenge you as you walk closer and closer to him to stretch what you give. It's like a rubber band. If, if you take a rubber band and you keep it, I don't have one up here, but if you, if you keep it, it, it's really loose. But then if you stretch it, Right? If you're a kid, I don't know if you ever did this. I did this all the time. You'd stretch a rubber band and start playing with it, like playing, and then you'd stretch it more and it'd make a different note. Like it's still a rubber band making the noise, but you know, you stretch it and you, because the more that you're stretched, the different your life will look. If you think about a guitar, I heard this illustration this past week and I wasn't, I didn't have it in my notes, but I'm gonna do it anyways. With a guitar that had, that had six strings, and without tension, without stretching those strings, it's not gonna make the right note. And if it doesn't make the right note, it's not gonna play the chords right. And if it's not playing the chords right, then the song's gonna sound terrible, right? And, and what we're trying to do and what part of my vision is, is to help guide you so that you tune your guitar, that you tune your life in tune with God so that it plays the melody of God. If your generosity is a problem for you and it's been a struggle in your life, then you've got one string that's out of tune, right? Again, it's not about the church getting money. It's not about me getting a paycheck. It's all about you being faithful to who God has called you to be and who God is. These early believers, they were stretched in what they gave because they knew they couldn't outgive God. And they had faith that their needs would be met by God no matter how much they gave. And two chapters later, in Acts chapter four, verses 33 through 34, I'm gonna read it for you. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, meaning they, they continued to share the gospel and God's grace was so powerfully at work in, all, in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For time to time, there, there are those who uh, owned land or houses and sold them, brought the money from the sales. What I wanna focus on is what it says at the beginning, verse 34, there were no needy persons among them, meaning no one in their community was in need of anything because this church always supplied it, always gave. If someone was in need, they come up to the church and their needs, needs would be fulfilled which means that there is no need for government programs to step in and help people because the church did it all. Can you imagine the impact of a church like that in a community? People relying not on the government programs, not on the government, not on family members, but relying on the people of God to supply all of their needs and for Christians to give God 
all the glory for it. I wonder how many lives would be saved and transformed by the love of Jesus if we were to be more generous. And I have a vision for this church to exist in Poole, Kentucky. A church that gives more than what people expect. A church that gives until there's not another need met in this community. I believe that Shady Grove General Baptist Church can be that church, but we have to devote ourselves to be radically generous. I now do believe that we're heading that way. I do believe that we're becoming a more generous church, but there's still needs in our community. And since there's still needs in our community, there's still ways that we need to be giving back to our community. We, we have been, uh, as I was looking at kind of our giving, uh, how it's been since I started here and how it's going now, uh, giving's been going up. And I think weekly where we have more people giving, which means that we're having 100% more now than what we did three years ago coming in weekly, which means that you're just being more generous. And uh, you, you took my vision, you took hold of my vision, and we were generous in putting on harvest days without, without expecting anything to come back. And in fact, we expected it so much that we made it sure that this church would receive none of the money that was made from, uh, from uh, selling t-shirts and selling funnel cakes and selling tickets. None of that money goes back to us. We, we have it, but we're gonna pour it all back into the community. Every single penny is going back. It's not coming back to this church. And this is the way that we're demonstrating our biblical generosity to this community that we are going to be at the forefront of, of starting different things in our community that without us being a part of it, there's gonna be so many needs. And one of those needs was people wanted to be back together. They wanted to be back together and have a fun event together. And Harvest Days was that. I heard that for three years. Man, I wish Harvest Days would come back. And, and, and we finally made it happen because of your generosity. And later this year, from what we got from Harvest Days, we're going to be pouring back into our goal for a Christmas tree lighting with, you know, free hot chocolate or, and just a fun community event uh, closer to December that, that we can have together and trying to put up Christmas lights throughout pool again. But we haven't reached it yet because there's still people in need in this community. And I know that because this past week, I got a call from one of my deacons and he told me about someone who was in need, and we, we helped supply some of that need, right? But until all of the needs in Poole, Kentucky are met, we will be stretched by God to give with radical generosity. And when we're stretched, it's, it's going to be uncomfortable. It, it might even hurt some. You might even feel like you're going to get stretched too much, but if I know anything about God, I know that he, he's patient with us and he knows where we're supposed to be, where, where we need to be, but he's going to slowly stretch us until we get to that point. He will stretch us, but he will not break us, right? Just like the rubber band, he will stretch us and not break us, just like a guitar string in which I have snapped so many from putting too, many, too much tension on them while I was tuning my guitar. He will tune to the right note and he will stretch how much you give when you give but the stats don't lie 
People in America just aren't as generous as they used to be. So let's get down to the core of our problem. If all Christians were generous today like they were in the book of Acts, there would be no needy people. In fact, they're probably, and I'm, I'm saying probably, but I'm like 99% sure that there would be no issue of people being hungry in our world. There would be no people in our nation being hungry. There would be no need for any type of government assistance, any food stamps, nothing. There would be no need for any of it because the church would supply all of the needs for everyone. So the government wouldn't even have to step in because they're like, well, well, the church is doing this for free. Why would we pay for programs to do this? Which might lower your taxes, by the way, just saying. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But there wouldn't be any need for government assistance. But since there is government assistance, it shows our lack of generosity. And our lack of generosity as as churches in America has proven our lack of devotion to God. So why is this? Well, we're just not bent towards generosity because generosity is of God and we're, we're children of darkness because we've fallen into sin. We are broken people. And so for the next 15 minutes or so, as I, as I wrap up this message for 15 minutes, <laughs> for the second half of this message while I'm wrapping up, um, I want to talk about three possible reasons why you're not as generous as you'd like to be. So the first one is this. You struggle with pride. Pride takes all shapes and forms. It can be blatantly obvious uh, or it can be very well hidden behind layers of lies that we tell ourselves and lies that we believe about ourselves. When faced with an opportunity to be generous, pride in its most obvious form says, I earned this paycheck, right? I earned this money. Why would I give it away to someone who's probably just going to waste it anyways, right? We've all had that thought, I'm sure. I'm not the only one that's had that thought. Why would I waste part of my paycheck when I could use it for something that I want? For, for something that I need, or even justified as saying, you know, I need this because I got a supply for my family, even though I don't need that much, right? And, and I could give it away. But when faced with the opportunity to be generous, pride would say, they're never going to repay me, so why would I give it to them, right? They haven't done anything for me, so why should I do anything for them? But hidden pride is much different. Hidden pride is probably more widely seen in America and in churches because it's not so obvious. You may have heard this saying, God helps those who help themselves. You probably heard that. Some of you probably subscribe to that. And I I hate to break or, or to burst your bubble, but that's unbiblical. God doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps those who he loves. And even if you don't help yourself, he still loves you. Right? To say that God helps those who help themselves it is a, a biblical way of saying that you believe in your righteousness, in your salvation, in your justification by faith in your works and not by the grace of God. That if I help myself, if I work, if I use the brain that God gave me and I start working and I build up my own business or I build up my own work ethic and I do these things, then God is going to help me more because I'm doing more. And that's just not true. God will help those who love him and who have faith in him. 
And oftentimes he will use the people that have faith in him to help those who don't have faith in him. Why? So that they can come to know him. But if a third aren't being generous, if a third aren't responding to God's call in that way, then a third of people are gonna be left without a need, without a need in their life being met. See, God chose to help unbelievers through you and me. He chose his church. He said, I want you to be generous so that you can go. And he demonstrates this in the book of Acts. And somewhere along church history, we've lost it. The church, you and I, we've been filled with so much pride, pride about how we've worked so hard for our money. And these people in need must not be working as hard. They must be taking advantage of people. They must be doing these other things. And it's this pride feeling because you worked yourself out of debt. You worked to earn your paycheck. You, you worked to fill out your budget and stick to your budget so that you could have money to give to the church. And so you could have uh, all of your needs met and have a lot of your wants met too. And you, you do these things and you're like, I, I've worked so hard. And because they're in this situation, they must not be working as hard. Right? If they would just stand up and start working as hard as I do, then they would see that they could get out of this financial situation. And though that may be true, God calls us to still be generous to them because he was generous to us. That even in our prideful selves, he looked at us and he says, man, you're prideful and you're probably gonna waste the gifts that I give you, but I'm gonna give them to you anyways. You're probably gonna go and sin again after I've cleansed you from all of your sin, but I'm gonna keep on cleaning that sin right off of you because my son's blood and his sacrifice is enough. This pride that we have acts as if we've earned our blessing. God blessed us without us doing anything and he would continue to bless us without doing anything. But the people in our world they're not given an equal opportunity. If you just look around, not everyone's been given an equal opportunity to, to succeed like you have, right? Not everyone has a mom and a dad in their home. Not everyone has to raise up and, and become an orphan and, and live their first 18 years of their lives as an orphan. Not everyone has abusive parents. Not everyone has parents that are active in their lives, right? Some people, they, uh, if you're here on Wednesday night, you heard uh, Jason Ford's testimony and how much he had to go through. You're gonna sit there and tell me that uh, if you were here last week, um, you're gonna tell me that Jason had an equal opportunity than me because he didn't. From age, what was it, nine? Age nine, he had heart disease and has struggled with that for his entire life, right? You're gonna tell me that he has an equal opportunity, he doesn't. People in this world don't have equal opportunities because of the brokenness that humanity has brought through our sins. Generational sins and brokenness leave so many people with more obstacles in front of them. So they may work just as hard as you do, but they're not gonna succeed like you do because you don't have as many obstacles as they do. So who are you to say that you aren't supposed to be generous? 
Let me remind you of Matthew chapter 20, even though this is talking about more about salvation, it's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. There are workers in the morning working all day for a day's wage. And hours later, some workers in the afternoon came and, and they were hired to help the workers. And they only worked one hour where the others, they worked a full day. And all of them, whether they were in the morning or in the afternoon, they got a full day's wage. And the morning workers were grumbling because they worked harder. They worked longer. They felt like they needed more, so it wasn't fair. But look at the response that Jesus gives in verse 15. He says, don't I have the right to do with what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? You see, when we follow Christ, when we submit to him, we work to glorify God. But we all get the same reward of salvation through Jesus Christ and eternal life in heaven. It doesn't matter if you've worked your entire life or the last five minutes of your life. And when it comes to money, your pride will tell you that it's your money, just like your pride will tell you that it's your life and you're saving yourself and that you've earned this salvation. But the truth is that you're a follower of Christ. Money is a resource to be given and controlled by God to be used to supply your needs and to help those in need. So who are you to say what God should use his resource that he blessed you with. Who are you to say what that should be used for? It's his anyways. But sometimes it's not just pride. Sometimes you struggle with fear. Maybe you grew up in a home where your parents frequently talked about not having enough money. And you felt that as a kid in your, in your parents' home, you felt kind of the struggle that your parents had with money and or maybe you found your way through a difficult financial situation and you got yourself out of debt or you're currently struggling with not having enough money to meet all of your needs. And when those situations happen, our mind creates neural pathways that tells us that we need to worry about money. We need to worry about having enough money to meet our needs. We need to worry, even if it is obvious, about how much you actually have and how you could supply all of your own needs and you can give and supply all the needs of others. In your mind, because you have this fear uh, boiling up inside of you, you're like, I, I don't have enough to give because you have to keep on holding on to it. There's someone that I know that, that has this mindset, grew up in a home that, that struggled with money and, um, and that person uh, told me not too long ago actually, said, feel like when I spend money, I don't have any money. And when I look at things that I could buy and I have plenty of money to buy, I look at it and I'm like, well, I can't get it because I don't have any money. So I just save everything. And I hardly spend. And every time that I spend, I feel like I'm just going to go broke. And a lot of people deal with that. And so fear be an obstacle into your generosity because you feel like you don't have enough to give when in reality, God has blessed you with more than enough to give. Maybe you fear falling back into old patterns so that if you start giving and you start stretching your giving and uncomfortably giving uh, certain amounts, you start restricting your giving and your spending because you don't want to fall back into debt. You don't want to fall back into unsure, uh, un, un, what's the word? <laughs> you don't want to fall back into debt. We're just going to go with that. But you hang on to every penny because you don't know if you're gonna be able to keep the lights on. You don't know if you're gonna have another meal and that fear will bind you and it tells you that you can't be generous, but I'm here to tell you that that is a lie straight from the enemy. That God, even in your needs, 
has given you something to be a blessing to other people. It may not be financial at the moment, but it can be financial later. And what happens when we are overcome with fear, we tend to give the leftovers. Uh, we tend to give the amount that we can live without, the $17, that the 10% of tithe without ever going beyond the 10%. Andy Stanley said this, or wrote this in one of his books. He said, the problem with giving leftovers is that your generosity can never exceed your ability to meet your own needs. Your generosity will always be limited by what you think your needs are. Now contrast that to what we just talked about with the early church. They said, here's my needs and here's everything else that I have. These are all wants, but I'm gonna sell all of my wants so that people's needs can be met. You know, I, I'm gonna sell all of my wants, even to the point that some were like, I don't even need my house to live. Right? I don't need shelter. I can find shelter. I don't need to can continue to pay for it. So I'm gonna sell it. I'm gonna give it so that other people are in need. This is how they stretch themselves to give. They looked, here's what I need. I need food to survive. So I'm gonna keep some so that I can pay for the food so that I can survive. And I, and I need water. So I'm gonna keep money so that I can have water. Most of them probably said, I, I need shelter for my family. And so I'll keep money so that I can pay for my home. And I'll need money so that I can pay taxes. But outside of all of my needs, I've been stretched so much by God. I have so much faith in God that God's gonna continue to supply these needs. So I'm gonna give everything else away. And I wanna tell you something. It's very, very difficult to start giving in a stretched way. But I wanna tell you that God will always supply your needs before he supplies your wants. And I can prove this because Matthew chapter six, verse 25 through 34 talks about not worrying about your life. Look at the birds in the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not value, much more valuable than they? Can, you, uh, can any of you add by worrying a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? Look how the flowers in the field grow. They don't labor and spin, yet you're more valuable. God will always supply our needs and your needs before he supplies your wants. Whether you're rich or poor, Paul would be the first one to tell you that he's been in times of plenty and he's been times of in need and God always made him content that he was going to be supplied the needs to survive and to continue to share the gospel. And that leads to this last point. You just simply don't know Christ like you thought you did or you don't know Christ at all. You know, we serve a generous God. We serve a God that looked at the broken, rebellious, sinful creation that we call humanity. And instead of pouring out his wrath and his punishment that we rightfully deserved, out of his immense generosity and grace for us, his creation, he sent his son to die on the cross and to take the wrath and the punishment of God that we deserved. He paid our debt of sin on that cross and he rose again three days later so we could live a new transformed life with him on earth as well as in heaven. 
was my um, delivery off. He sent his son to die on the cross for us in our place. And, and he could have poured out his wrath and his punishment on us and we rightfully deserve, but instead Jesus took on that punishment himself in our place, rose three days later so we could live a new transformed life with him on earth as it is in heaven. Does that not excite you? Does that not make you feel grateful? Does that not show you how generous our God is? And if God is that generous, why aren't we? Because we're overrun by fear. Break away from that fear. We're overrun with our pride. Break away from that pride and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We as a church, we have to submit ourselves to the authority of God so that our hearts and our minds will be transformed. Christianity is not about behavior modification. None of this is about saying you have to give 10% every single week or you're gonna go to hell. You have to give this certain amount every single week or you're gonna go to hell or you're not gonna be a faithful member of our church family. No, it's not about behavior modification. It's all about life transformation, transforming your mind and your spirit to say, I'm given because I want to be generous. I wanna give back because God has given so much and I can never pay back that debt, but I'm gonna still give because I can't outgive God. And I'm gonna give all that I can and all that I feel led to. Through this transformation, I believe this church will be radically generous to all that we encounter, but it starts with you because we are the church and we will be radically generous until there are no more needs met in Poole, Kentucky, in Dixon, in Seabree, and all of the surrounding area, uh, cities and counties and towns, until there is not a single need met, or in, until every single need is met, we will continue to be radically generous.